What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 70.3, and we are continuing and finishing our playthrough of The Evil Within 2, our Halloween, Nightmare Before Christmas, After Christmas, New Year's special. Uh, it took us a while, but we finally got it done. Uh, I have with me Matt. Hello, everybody. And so, yeah, um, this, um, where we left off was kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, I didn't realize that. So the chapters, we've, we've talked about it before, Matt. The chapters in this game are really lopsided, it seems like, at times. Yeah. You got one that's two hours, one that's 30 seconds. <laughs> one is just a walking simulator. So... Um, yeah, I feel like this this first chapter thirteen was the last long one. Yeah, yeah, this last this one where we're basically traveling. That's essentially what we're doing. It's just traveling. Um, so uh, where we left off, um, we are getting ready to confront Father Theodore, um, who has Lily. Um, and uh, we learned all the secrets. So. Theodore, Myra, which is Sebastian's wife, Kidman, and um, uh, Esmeralda, uh, who is it? Torres. Torres. Uh, all, well, aside from Kidman, all went into the stem to uh, rescue Lily and then destroy uh, Mobius from the inside out. Um, and so... Now that we have that out in the open, we're thinking, okay, well, he knows everything there is to know about this place now, and he has Lily, and he's he's decided that he is going to take over uh, Stem in his in hopes to take over Mobius, and then possibly take over the world because apparently Mobius has become this very large shadowy company that has its hands in pretty much everything including the governments and stuff like that so which also wants to take over the world yeah <laughs> the world is just a pawn in this game yeah so yeah um we have to uh first make it to where um theodore has his stronghold uh which is uh it's in the second area that we went to where the um the hotel is yeah yep um the issue is that um his stronghold is completely surrounded by fire and there's no going in or out of that place yukiko um the pretty much the last remaining person alive um tells us that she could possibly come up with a device that um, O'Neill had to come up with that could possibly allow us to block uh, the protective fire so that we can cross over into the stronghold. I must have been getting the name wrong because they called it a stable field emitter, but I feel like every time something emits anything in this game, it's a stable field emitter. It seems like it. Or maybe it seems like that's just the generic term for everything unless... <laughs> Unless it actually had a different name, but I could have swore they called it the stable field emitter. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe all the crazy stuff that happens is instability 
and we're trying to make devices that stabilize this place and basically render it useless. Yeah. So anti anti union. Yeah. Or or restructuring of union. So all this weird stuff that's been going on is all about instability and we need something to make it stable again. So um so yeah, so our our mission is to um join up with Yukiko uh was it Hoffman? That was her name, Yukiko Hoffman, uh at yep. the uh hotel and um from there we would use the device to go into the stronghold. Now, before we get to that, we get a phone call from Sykes. Um, anybody who remembers a couple of episodes back, we rescued another person who worked for Mobius. He was a tech, uh, uh, I think it was, a, was he a tech guy for Mobius? Yeah, I think so. He yeah. was the one that was very like the scaredy cat. Well, aside from O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we were, the, he's the guy that we rescued while he was up on a, on a van trying to shoot a bunch of guys. Um, well, we get a call from him saying that, Hey, I found a way out. Uh, and you wanted me to call you whenever I found a way out. So, uh, I, we get another side mission and I go and do this side mission. You did it too, I guess, Matt. Yep. Okay. And that's, that's the reason why 13 was the longer chapter. I mean, I guess you could have bypassed it, but it was pretty obvious that this one was kind of meant to be done. I don't know. There are things in this game you can overlook and kind of miss easily, but the way they come out so directly and tell you that you need to do this and it's a way out of STEM seems not. It seems kind of story important, not right. only just you know might get you some more loot. Yeah, uh, which he does say that it, there's something in it for us. Which um, yeah, I'm not going to turn down some loot. No, no, no. I'm almost down for loot. So when we we have to make it back to Sykes, which is kind of on the way, which is fine. Uh, and he said that, uh, he has found, a, a area of the, um, the marrow that leads to a potential way out. And he said the, the problem is, is that, uh, that area is filled with a bunch of monsters and he has to get the power back on in order for this device to work. So he wants us to go in, kill all the monsters, make sure it's safe and he will show us the way out. So we go in there. I didn't find it very difficult. There were a decent amount of guys in here, but yeah, fairly short. Yeah. Um and you can stealth all the the first half of them pretty easy. Yeah. So I, I was able to clear them out. Sykes, we then get a cutscene with Sykes coming into their that area. Uh we got the power on. And sure enough, there is a, what looks like a bathtub sitting there. And he's like, all right. And he says, I'm going. Uh, but before I go, I will show you how to work it. And that way, when you get Lily and you're ready to escape, come here and you can get out. Um, so he gets into the tub and, uh, the room fills up with like mist or fog or whatever, steam. I can't help but think that bathtub looks like a lazy boy because it's got that like arm crank on the side. <laughs> I, I to be honest with you, it, I, it's not supposed to be a bathtub, but it sure as hell looks like one. Yeah, um, and it's filled with water or some type of liquid. 
Um, Somewhere between a bathtub and maybe the the pods from the Matrix. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, when the uh, the mist fills up the room, you can't see him anymore. And then when the mist goes away, he's disappeared. This game has thick mist too. I noticed that in the uh, in the houses. You know, there's many times in this game when you're in burning houses. But when there's like smoke in the air, it is dense smoke. Yeah, you cannot see through it. I guess that's the reason why you have those smoke um, bolts. Yeah, allow you to pass through. Yeah, it's a particular brand of smoke in this game. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and you, you get a uh, you get a trophy. I got a trophy. It says Sykes out. Well, at least somebody made it. People drop like flies in this game. Yeah, you're not kidding. So, um, now we have our way out, uh, which we don't, well, spoilers, we don't even use. Um, <laughs> so, uh, after that little side mission, we then meet up with Yukiko at the hotel and, uh, she's got her stable filled and met her, I guess. Um, and, uh, she's basically using, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the ending of Mass Effect 2. Yeah, exactly. That where they're using a bubble, and you stay inside the bubble, but you have to fight off stuff that's trying to get inside the bubble. Yep. Um. And uh, so we're traveling through this this hellfire, and this bubble from the the stable field emitter is surrounding us, and we're trying to stay inside of it. Of course, there's these flaming monsters that are trying to kill us while we're doing this. And, of course, the emitter messes up a couple of times, and the bubble shrinks really small. Um, tons of ammo here, though. Not many yeah. places in this game you have nearly unlimited ammo, yeah. or actually unlimited ammo. Well, I I mean, obviously, that's the game of this, but it had to do that. Otherwise, you'd be screwed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're, we go through this little section here, fighting off the flaming dudes. And, um, we finally make it to the end. We go into the chapel. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Yukiko, um, the fill emitter stops working. And as the flames are coming, um, she gets tripped up by some of the enemies. And she's like, you need to just go. Forget about me and go. Get your daughter. And the flames come and eat her alive. He takes an awful long time to decide, too. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was just dramatic, like, framing, but I feel like when she tripped, he had time to go get her and make it back to the door, but he just kind of, like, looked at her. Yeah. Until the blast blew him back, and he's like, well, too late now. She's gone. So, Yukiko is dead. Yeah. By no fault of us. There's nothing we could have done to save her. No. I'm not us as players. This is all happening in cutscenes. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, and then you get another trophy called Fire Walk With Me. Haha. Ha. I get that reference. Um, so th this whole section, though, before we, you know, before we get to that end part where you're walking through the fire, it, it clearly felt like the end of the game because it had leveled up. Like, there were so many monsters out there. I mean, there's flamethrower guys out there. Yeah. Uh, which, even though we had really just got done fighting one, I vastly underestimated them. I actually died again because you get access to that broken 
flamethrower, and you have the ability if you take out another enemy with a flamethrower, no longer O'Neill, just some other flamethrower. Yeah. You know, you take them out, you can get the fuel cells and then use the flamethrower. So I went in and I had all these sniper rifle bullets uh, saved up, so I unloaded those into one of them, uh, multiple shotgun blasts. They didn't die and ended up killing me, and I would just... Even though they look like bosses, I just assumed because they were out in the, the quote-unquote real world of Union that they'd be simpler. They were definitely not. I avoided them at all costs. I tried twice to take them down. The second time, I just hightailed it. Mm. Well, um, so yeah, uh, making it into the fortress itself, uh, we have to start climbing. Uh, the whole time uh, Theodore is talking to us, and uh, you know, so you've come to see me, and then you know Sebastian's Sebastian is like two steps away from Edward Carnby at this point. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but this time I'm gonna kill you, and it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I I feel like there are so many there's so many good scenes in this game. I feel like I—I I, I wouldn't even say it's the voice actor. I just think it's Sebastian's dialogue is off. Yeah, to, to me, it's a combination of everything. I think it starts with the dialogue. The actor doesn't improve on it. The facial animations are a bit wooden. Like everything feels a little corny when it's a, not always. Because sometimes the emotion I think comes through okay. Some of the scenes with Myra I think hit well. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, a lot of times it sounds. I, I don't. I don't even know. It's not. It doesn't sound bad. It just sounds generic. Like in, intention. Well, generic or kind of intentionally campy, almost. Yeah. I don't know if it's meant to sound like that. Yeah, he just sounds like generic action hero. Yeah, kind of thing. Um, Keeping his cool, even though there's like shit going down all around him. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, Going through this area, there's a lot of flaming guys. Um, so I should mention that I, I saved this part and loaded it up yesterday. From here on to the end of the game, my wife decided to sit next to me and watch me finish this game. Oh, well, if you're going to watch a part of this game, that's actually a pretty good chunk to see. This was the best part to watch because me, yeah. obviously, you know, and... <laughs> She's she's like you gotta focus, you know. Like there was a couple of times, especially during the last it's boss fight. Yeah, she's like focus, Drew, focus. I'm like I I am I am, <laughs> and so, <laughs> but yes. Um, and she she like genuinely enjoyed the last the last probably two hours of this game because from here to the end is about two hours, I would say. Yeah, and um, so we're climbing the uh, the tower. Bunch of guys here. Um, sneaking around. I, I tried to stealth most of them. Uh, a few yeah. open areas where like you have to activate something and then go back. A bit of an awkward, it, it wasn't even an attempt at puzzles when you have to hit the valves. Yeah. The valve is right there. It's right there. There's no puzzle whatsoever. <laughs> I walked in. I'm like, Oh wow. They're going to introduce puzzles now. Cool. And then absolutely the least you could do as far as trying to set up a puzzle. 
and the thing is, is like I was trying to conserve ammo, so I was walking up to it and trying to hit it with like the knife. Nope. Yeah, me too. Nope. I was like, really? You're gonna force me to waste one bullet when like the ammo... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, ammo's definitely at a premium here. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's one awkward section where you can take a left path or a right path, which is slightly lower than the left path. But they both have no enemies, I don't think. They both have one flame wall with one lever that you have to shoot, and then they converge after. I just I was sitting there like, what is the point of this room? The illusion of choice. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and yeah, so, yeah, but weird. but much like you, um, I did both sections because hey, there might be something over here. There might be some ammo laying over there, you know. Yeah, and, and there's really not. Um. So anyway, we we're we're making our way to the top, um, and there's no really real resistance here except for like the the flaming enemies. Which a couple they, of demo dogs, and at one point when you have to crank open a, a door to get up some stairs. Yeah, you activate something, and some stairs slowly come down. And there's two two of those weird dog looking things. To, yeah. which, to which Laura was like, "What are those?" <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "You haven't seen those." Uh, yeah. Um, so before we get into the the ending parts here, I do want to mention to you. What I have done as far as upgrades go. So I mainly stuck to stealth throughout most of this game. Uh, and then kind of spread out evenly with health and recovery. I had my recovery almost all the way. So, uh, I, in fact, I had it to the final node where I get the maximum amount of health back using a, um, like a hit recovery item. Yep. So, uh, some of the highest end upgrades were ridiculously expensive in this game. I, I get the feeling that you're supposed, like, you don't get fully upgraded unless you do New Game Plus. I think that's the case. It has to be. Yep. Or you get all the keys, cause some of the, some of the biggest payouts, uh, of green gel are probably in those lockers. I unlocked two lockers this entire game. Really? Yeah. Oh, I probably had about a dozen. I couldn't find any of those statues. Unless I was just wasn't paying attention. Yes, some of them were out in the middle of kind of the open. Some a lot of them were just off the path. Like, yeah. Like for example, early in the game we talked about the church. I think there was one right behind the pulpit. And that's when I'm thinking, you know, what am I, is that part of the scenery? See, I didn't realize I could actually hit those things until that one was obvious, like, during the yeah. whole Stefano thing. Yeah, me too. Same here. I I probably missed a bunch in early in the game just because I didn't even realize they were part of the game. Yeah. So, um, I did fully upgrade the pistol. Um, what do you mean by fully? Like the damage or like everything? Everything. Wow. Yeah. I fully upgraded uh, reload speed, um, the critical hit, and the damage, and the uh, capacity. And there were two for damage, right? Wasn't there a, an option for critical hit, so a chance for crit? Yeah, transfer as well crit as, as well as damage. Yeah. 
So I had it fully upgraded. Um, and, uh, with the weapon stuff, I tried to get as much as the, the weapon kickback re- removal as much as possible. So yeah, with that pistol, it's a little easier. Holy crap, dude. That pistol would wreck dudes. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause the critical, I had it 60% chance to do critical damage if I hit a weak spot, which every other bullet, if it hit the head would explode the head. <laughs> so it was perfect. Nice. Yeah, I, I that was my intent through the whole game was to max out the handgun. I'm like, look, a lot of these other guns might be good in certain situations, but you know the handgun's always going to be good. It's always going to be around. It's your default. There's always going to be ammo. So I want every one of those shots to, to be better. Yeah. So my, my intent was to upgrade the handgun. Although, looking back at the end of the game, I didn't. I, I kind of spread everything out evenly. Yeah, so yeah, I... I barely touched anything i upgraded some of the 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 um, crossbow bolts um barely touched the shotgun didn't even bother with the assault rifle and i did i did the assault rifle a lot actually and and forgot about the sniper rifle completely although even though go ahead go ahead no no you go ahead i was gonna say I, i did put a lot of points into upgrading the um the assault rifle and i i literally only shot one enemy with it the uh, the end boss, but the end boss, yeah, I did. I was kind of saving it. Yeah, it, even though the ammo was actually pretty easy to make, it was only one gunpowder as yeah. opposed to two for pretty much everything else. Um, but yeah, um, and you know, I never field crafted anything. No, I didn't either. Again, I trying never, to trying to get value. Yeah, I never used field crafting. Because I think that was my rationale for spreading everything out is the lower upgrades cost less. So I'm like, I could get one handgun upgrade with these machine parts, or I could get two or three other upgrades if I upgrade other weapons. Yeah. Right? They might only cost 50 or 60 or 70 versus, you know, in the end, two or three or 400 per upgrade for the for the handgun. You know, I'm willing to bet throughout this entire playthrough, I did more stealth kills than I did kills with weapons. You think so? I'm willing to bet you I did. I took That's my, not. Yeah, I took my time with these guys. Yeah, it's a good good stat screen, but I I don't know if you could decipher that. There is probably stealth kills on there. I can't remember. I didn't ever take a picture. So. Yeah, I tried to take one at the end, but the game ended before I could get a chance. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when we finally make it to the top. We have our big showdown with with um, Theodore. Uh, he starts off by sending Lily to us. The last time he sent Lily to us, she erupted into flames, and so did we. For the fourth time in the game. <laughs> um, but um, this time, she's she's walking with flames, and she comes and hugs Sebastian. Sebastian hugs her back. And nothing happens. She disappears into a beam of light or whatever. And uh, Theodore's like, oh, okay, well, you seem to have overcome some of your fear and doubts. That's okay. There's plenty (laughs) more where that came from. (laughs) Yeah, you've seen some things, I know. Therefore, you've still got fear deep in you. So... uh, so begins possibly 
one of my favorite things in this entire game. Yep. Which is him then digging deeper into Sebastian's fears and pulling out all of the bosses from the original uh, Evil Within game. So first off, he turns into or summons this the chainsaw guy from from the first game to which uh we start off by running from it and then sebastian's <laughs> like screw this i'm not running anymore face your fears yep <laughs> and so he somehow teleports behind the guy because he's running straight toward him yeah i think the guy disappears right i thought sebastian disappeared i could be wrong but anyway, so Sebastian uh, takes his knife and stabs him in the neck with it. And the guy falls to his knees and drops his chainsaw. Sebastian then walks up to the chainsaw and grabs it. And you go <laughs> to chop this guy. He tries to resist. You have to tap the X button a bunch of times. And he chops him through the neck into his chest. Yeah, not like a quick off with the head. No. No, this was a, I'm going to hold it on him and scream for about 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, and he's now covered in blood. Um, that then dissipates. And, and he kind of falls, right? He does this, the whole evil within one thing where he falls and lands. Gravity has changed. Yeah. It's pulling him upward. Yeah. So he's falling upward, and he slams onto the the ceiling, what essentially should be the ceiling, and then the camera pans, and he's actually on the ground. And when he, he stands up, he is now facing the safe head guy. They call the keeper. Oh, is that what it was called? Yeah. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah. I used to call him safe head. And Laura <laughs> seeing this, she said, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, that's the safe head guy. She's like, oh, God. And so this guy will teleport. He somehow can find you around. Like, he's directly behind me, and I'm running around a corner, and there he is. <laughs> yeah. So Well, to... it's weird because after you kill the first one, two of them come. Yeah. And that's the part that terrified me. I killed the first one. I'm like, ha. Ah. I've beaten the evil within. I'm about to beat the evil within two. These guys no longer scare me. And I'm like running away from one and another one comes up. I'm like, oh shit. Nope. I take it back. <laughs> so you had to kill three of them, I think. Yeah. To which my powerful handgun makes well, well easy work of these guys. I just like, I mean, granted I'm out of ammo by the end of it, but <laughs> I just, da, 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 and he falls over dead. Here comes another one. Bow, bow, bow. Um, and when you kill the final one, his head falls off, his safe head falls off. <laughs> and it, um, it's, it was like the perfect moment for me because the safe, the safe head falls off and it falls off and the camera is basically facing the back of it. And Laura, she looked over at me. She said, what's in the safe? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the safe opens. You see the Perfect door question. open. And she's like, I really wish I hadn't asked that. <laughs> <laughs> and out of this little safe, you see these really long arms come out. And it pulls itself out. And it is the spider woman from the first game. The really creepy one. 
Yep. Um, and she is running around. The, the The entire environment changes to the boss fight from the first game. Uh, Sebastian's like, I've burned you once. I'll do it again. And so we have to, this one has the, the same little puzzle where you have to turn two valves. So you have to stun her long enough so you can turn these two valves and then get her to go through this one area, pull the lever and have the fire come down on her. I actually lucked out in this section because I had, I think I died. I think she got me once and it's like a one hit kill. Yeah, um, it is. And and then the second time I had both valve, valves activated, I'm like, all right, please do not like come around the corner wrong and have her one hit kill me. Um, and I got too eager. I went over and, and pulled the lever, and she wasn't under the flames. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to have to do this all over again. And then she took a step to the left and burned herself alive. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, a little help. I'm not going to say no. I put a uh, shock trap down. And so when she stepped over there into it, she was stunned, pulled the lever, burned her. So I looked at the trophy list. Uh, the trophy, uh, for this fight, um, this kind of a secret is called I'll Kill You Myself. Uh, and if you have the flamethrower, you can just kill her. So. Ah, uh, that, that sucks. No, I wish no. I had gotten it. Yeah. But it is what it is. So after burning her, um, she turns back into Theodore. <laughs> uh, and Theodore's like, what are you? <laughs> and he's like, I'm a dad. Uh, he doesn't say that, but it, 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 he could essentially said that and whatever. Yeah. So um, that is um, the end of the boss fight. The cutscene uh, that ensues is... A whole lot of stabbing. So, yep. um, as we're getting ready to kill Theodore, somebody from behind him stabs him in the, uh, in the chest. From in the back through the chest. I think it's probably the T-1000. Yes. Uh, and he falls down and we see that it is Myra, her corrupted self with all the, the wax over her eyes or whatever. And she uh, is telling Sebastian to get out of here, leave Lily alone. Um, and as this is going on, uh, uh, Theodore is not dead. He then removes his cane sword and then takes it and stabs Myra in the neck going through her body. She just shrugs that crap off. <laughs> Stabs him a, a and, back. And then stabs him again <laughs> through his mouth, through his head. <laughs> yeah. And he then falls into his little pit <laughs> that he had right there at the when we first met him. He's dead. And uh, Myra is kind of going nuts at this point. Because while Sebastian's talking to her, she is feeling conflicted. And she's turning back into regular Myra and then turning back into corrupted Myra. So what I gather from this basically is that Myra is a good guy. The problem is that she has been in union 
for so long and been around this corruption that it plays on her fears and her fear is not being able to protect Lily. So she turns into this monster that is hell bent on protecting Lily, including protecting her from Sebastian. Nobody can have Lily except me. And Sebastian's able to try and talk some sense into her a little bit. Unfortunately, the corruption takes over and she destroys the entire union. All of it comes crumbling down. And we're basically out in the middle of nowhere. Um, so begins chapter 16, I believe. Yep. Um, uh, 15, no? I think it's 15. Is it? Yep. When everything, like, it's like mid-apocalypse. And you have to chase after and then kill enemies to unlock more of the path? Yep. Yeah, oh. that's 15. Okay. So, uh, Union is pretty much all but destroyed at this point. Um, there's still some floating areas of the town that we're traveling through. We're trying to get to Myra. She has walked off. Um, so we have to follow her. Uh, this is kind of like a go to an arena, fight a bunch of enemies. The arena then opens up to a new arena fight a bunch of enemies and continue on. Um, th- and they're regular enemies, but they're... Yeah, nothing hard. Yeah, they're kind of like a new version of regular enemies. But they don't do anything differently. Yeah. You can still sneak attack them. Uh, but at this point, I had like... I was still pretty good on ammo. So I was just kind of just shooting them. Especially whenever I, I saw the... Like the little mission objective was you need to kill everybody here kind of thing. Yep. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the last part of this is a mini boss. I would, I would venture to say. Yeah, I think certainly would have been a boss. Like, so in, in chapter 13, when you're wandering around union again, a lot of the regular enemies were previous bosses like right like the shrieking lady and right. the, the guy that glows green and so this yeah i guess this is like the next level of that kind of mid mid boss so yeah this little mid boss is like a combination of that weird gel waxy stuff that has like a, an electric pole sticking out of it and, and a nice uh, glowing red spot. Yeah, they have the last glowing red red spot, um, like any good video game has, and that's where you shoot it. Um, so that arena that it was in was a lot bigger than what I thought, and I was just running back <laughs> and forth. Not behind the houses. No, I went behind the car. It then ran into the car, and made it explode. I went. I ran by it into another corner. Shot it until it ran toward me, or ran back again, and after I killed it, I walked around this arena. I was like, "Wow, this is way bigger. Why didn't I run over here?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kept doing laps around a building. But yeah, uh, I didn't think it was very difficult when it started yeah. running. That just meant, "Hey, time to move." Yeah, the only thing impressive I impressive looking, 
know, yeah. nice size. Oh yeah, it was big. The the only thing I wish this game had was a dodge button. A just roll out of the way button. Yeah. But no. Which comes up in the last boss fight. <laughs> um Yeah, and instead of a dodge you have to like turn to the side and then sprint forward. Exactly. Uh so <laughs> um let's see here. Um Yeah, throughout this you keep seeing Myra in the distance, you keep calling to her, she's not answering. Yeah. And we know where she's going. She's essentially going so if you look to the very end of this area on a you can call it a hill if you want to on a plateau your old house is there and she's going there so um when we make it to the house she's there she's not having any of this she has to protect lily at all costs <laughs> and she decides it's time to put an end to all the threats so she turns her hand into a spike and is running towards Sebastian. Sebastian's like, I really don't want to do this. Please don't make me do this. And he aims his gun and pulls the trigger as she's about to stab him in the face. And she stops. And we see her her head. I don't even know what to say this is. Yeah, I don't know. But that alone almost gave me nightmares. It was creepy. Um, so Sebastian shot her in the head. And her face kind of where the bullet went through, her face is like a big gap now. And there's these orange, what looks like eyeballs floating yep. around in there and moving around and looking all over. Yeah, the, the two things that it reminds me of. One, like her face was full of bugs. Yeah. It's like when, when the bullet goes through, it kind of cracks this facade and it's like there's beetles underneath, which is unsettling enough in its own right. But I've also had a thing with eyes ever since I, I got LASIK. You know, sometimes my eyes are just really dry, so my eyes hurt, and I, you know, I've um, you know, had nightmares of, of, and probably because my eyes were dry at night, but had nightmares of, of just like eyes kind of just like full of glass, Ugh. you know, and moving around, moving around, and, and cutting the inside of my eyelids with glass shards. And so then to have this whole face full of little eyes kind of reminded me a little bit of that. So it was such a tiny, tiny part of this game and probably one of the more unsettling ones. So, Matt, uh, with that little fear that you have, I suggest you never go into STEM because that sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, after that, she goes nuts and morphs into this gigantic, hairy woman thing it's a giant woman yeah it's a giant woman i guess the only the only other thing so when when six when chapter 16 starts everything gets really lonely and then you've got the whole like long trek up where you're getting the the radio signals and you're getting the the whole story to unfold before you get the the boss fight was that before the boss fight i thought that was after uh, that's before. Yeah, it was. It was before. I forget. Because it, it's, it's the really long, desolate area when you're leading up to the house. Right, yeah. The end of the world, if you will. 
Um, yeah, you're and getting this, the radio. Even signal. more to the end, actually, because it's you know after there's no enemies left, really. Yeah, it's like just snow, basically. All this left is the boss fight. Um, so yeah, um, the the radio frequencies that we find the what were they called again? The remnants, not remnants. What are they called? Resonance points. Yeah, resonance points are basically all of the the plan that was going down with Theodore, Myra, um, Kidman, and uh, Torres. Which, again, is a nice set of revelations here. I think the whole last couple hours of this game is is kind of well-designed. Yeah. So uh, they had their plan. They were going to go in. They were going to uh, rescue Lily, destroy um, Mobius from the inside, and uh, Theodore, from the beginning, realized, nah, this is me taking over. Um, and it shows if, through multiple uh, signals, it shows basically what went down. Uh, he betrayed them. Uh, Myra was like, "Nope, you're not taking Lily. I'm taking her." Um, he then hired uh, another guy to help him, Stefano, to come in and and uh, do his art, but at the same time. I need you to kidnap Lily for me and bring her to me. Uh, and then it shows kind of the descent of Myra. Yeah. As she turned into the beast that she is known as now. So yeah, that, that we, we get that. And we also cross our, our final Sebastian's room, uh, which is, in a tower, so there's like this weird, like little tower that's busted open, like the walls busted open, and you walk in, and it's it's basically your room, his detective office. Yeah, final chance to do everything here before the boss fight. Yeah, and I've been talking to the nurse as I'm getting my upgrades, and he's like, "Well, I guess she's like, this is the last time you'll see me." He's like, "It'll be the last time because I leave this place, or because I'm dead." <laughs> She's like, well, both. <laughs> so, either way, this will be the last time. So, uh, yeah, do all your upgrades if you want to, stuff like that. And then it's off to the final boss fight, which I've already described. She turns into this giant woman with long hair and these really long arms. And she has multiple weak spots that appear depending on when you shoot them. So the first one is in her stomach. Essentially her heart, I guess. Um, when you shoot it, she then, and while she's doing this, she is slamming her arms down trying to hit you. You see it coming. And because you don't have a dodge out of the way button, you have to turn and then run. And it's really annoying and awkward. Yeah. So, um, and she also has this ability to launch these things out of her back, these sacks that then fall on the ground and then explode and turn into these spiders that come after you. And if you stomp on them, they turn into ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing sounds gamier than that. No. Um, 
So, uh, shoot her weak point and then more weak points show up. Uh, she gets a weak point on both sides of her back, which are almost impossible to hit. Yeah, until she like, um, until that arm goes way forward. Yeah. Um, and then if you shoot those weak points, it blows one of her arms off. And then her arm is moving on its own and it grabs a hold of you. Now, we get another dead space moment where when it grabs a hold of you, you have a limited amount of time to pull out a gun and shoot the weak point on the arm while it's pulling you toward her. I yep. didn't make it the first time. Me either. And so, I couldn't find the reticle the first time. <laughs> yeah, because everything's white in this ga- in this area. Yeah. So you can't find the reticle because your reticle's white. So, um, so I died here. Her hand. Her severed hand then holds Sebastian up, and she takes her hand that's still connected and squashes you like a bug. Luckily, you didn't have to start the entire fight over. You just start back at shooting the arms off. So, uh, on the second try, I got it. Yep. And then you got to shoot the the last arm off, and then you have to shoot her in the face. <laughs> This is where I finally, finally pulled out my machine gun. Yep, me too. This was like, I've got like 40 or 50 shots. Why not use it here? And so I unloaded on her face and defeated her. She, uh, she melts into a white goo to which, uh, Laura was still sitting next to me and I did the Wizard of Oz witch. (laughs) <laughs> I'm melting. What a world. Anyway. Uh It also is a lot thinner now than it used to be. Yeah. It's more like it's more like milk. Yeah. Really disgusting. <laughs> and uh as we're walking uh through it, we see a hand sticking out of it. And uh Sebastian walks up and pulls Myra out. To which I then looked at Laura and said, I'm glad it's not a severed hand, at least. Because I was waiting on like the whole intro to Resident Evil 1 where they're pulling the gun and it's, the, it's a severed hand. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Myra is still technically alive. Um, she is, uh, I guess, wounded or... Yeah, hard to tell exactly how. Yeah. Um, or maybe just really drained. And he's like, okay, come on, we're going to go get Lily at the house. She's like, I can't make it. So I was thinking she's just going to abandon him here. And then she's like, no, no, I'll catch up with you. Yeah, he's trying to carry her, and she's just like, no. So I I, I don't know. This this was one of the Myra scenes that felt weird. I couldn't really tell what was happening. I couldn't tell exactly what she was feeling, what she was even telling him to do when she said go ahead. Well, I knew she was like, go get Lily. But, yeah, but like, leave me here to die? Yeah, that's or... what I was thinking too. And then she's like, no, I'll catch up with you. And I was like, is that a lie? Is she just saying that so Sebastian will go? Yeah. But no, she actually does catch up to him. <laughs> uh, so uh, we then... She, she also says Lily's in like imminent danger and you get there and she's perfectly fine. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. 
so we climb we climb a few areas run up to the house and as we're going into the house some really cool transitions happen so uh he opens the door to the house and as he's opening the door the scenery changes and it's not sebastian stepping in it's kidman she's out in the real world and I was like, yeah, hey, little, that's, that's a really cool little transition there. Yep. And the first time we get to play as Kidman. Yeah. So uh, she's she's coming into the STEM area where they, they've got everybody in the bathtubs. And uh, the dark shadowy figure who runs Mobius is like, okay, uh, we finally got him tracked again. Where is he? Well, he's close to the core. He's like, okay, well, they're probably going to get out but that's okay we'll just uh we'll have him executed and uh we'll take the core back and put her back in and um he gives kidman he's like kidman i want you to call sebastian and tell him what to do to get out and kidman's like i'm not doing that you're not you can go fuck yourself yeah uh what she does say <laughs> and he's like, okay, you, you were, you're, we're going to take care of you too. And he orders his men to kill her. So we play as Kidman, which took me by surprise. Yep. So she's behind cover and we have to kill a bunch of guys who are shooting at us. I like how she's installed a gun right under her desk. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, we're shooting a bunch of guys. Man, I couldn't aim for anything right here. Me either. I, for a split second, I got nervous. I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to run out of ammo. And then you can just, there's infinite there's ammo. There's infinite here. ammo, yeah. Like, all right, shoot away. Uh, so we kill the guys there. She's running. She's trying to get to the to where they're actually keeping Sebastian in the bathtub. Uh, and in between these sections, it's transitioning back to Sebastian. And usually through opening doors. Sebastian is opening the door to yep. Lily's room. Then it cuts back to Kidman. We're shooting guys again. And Sebastian finally gets a hold of Lily. She's laying there in her bed. He wakes her up. Hey, we're going home. It's really me. Uh, let's go. Uh, so Kidman is uh, getting ready to get Sebastian out. Um, of course, all of Mobius is trying to kill Kidman at this point because she's gonna about to ruin everything. And um, we cut back to Sebastian and his wife caught up to him. <laughs> and uh, she's like, okay, you guys need to get out of here. And he's like, well, we're going together. She's like, no, I'm going to stay back to disable STEM and destroy Mobius. And he's like, what do you mean? She's like, this was the plan all along. The plan was I was never going to make it out. I was going to get Lily out and then do this. And the only way to do that is for me to stay in here. So um, the plan is is that she can um, create some type of a signal or maybe like install a virus or something into the system that then uh, activates all of the chips in all the Mobius people. Um, 
And we cut to Kidman, and Kidman tells the the head honcho guy uh, that what 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 they're gonna do, and he's like, "Well, you know what? You're gonna die too, because you have a chip in your head." She's like, <laughs> "Nah," and she raises her hair. She's like, "I pulled that thing out three days ago." And so, oh boy! If he wasn't already shitting himself, he was then. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, we then take over as Sebastian as uh he is trying to make his escape. Uh there's rocks and stuff falling, this this world is falling apart. Yeah, kind of a cool run because you're carrying Lily the whole time. Yeah. And you gotta make it back to your room. That's that's the final the final destination that le- allows you to get out. Look for your mirror in your room. Um cut back to Kidman. She gets the message from uh from uh Myra saying we're all good all you gotta do is hit enter she hits enter and everybody's dead (laughs) so uh during this time she has locked herself in the room where they have everybody in the bathtubs uh mobius agents have been trying to like plasma cut the door down and as they're finishing cutting it the door falls open and it's revealed that all the Mobius agents are dead, bleeding from their heads and eyes. Yeah, nice sense of finality here. Yeah. She then right, turns... Right, heavy, heavy weight of the door falling down. Yeah. She then turns to uh, to the head honcho guy. He starts going nuts. He's like screaming. His head is killing him. His freaking eyes are bleeding. Everything's <laughs> bleeding. Every orifice on his body. <laughs> And he falls over dead. Uh, cut back to Sebastian. He finds his mirror, goes through it, and wakes up in the bathtub. Uh, Kidman's there. She's like, "All right, we're gonna help you. You got to help me get Lily out." Sebastian's all disoriented, but he opens the doors to the core. Lily's there. He pulls her out, and him. Lily and Kidman escape Mobius. And that is the end. Roll credits. And yeah, the uh, shadowy figure was pretty on the nose. Kinda. He reminded me... If, did you ever play Metal Gear Rising? Uh, actually, no. Okay. Uh, Metal Gear Rising, the the, the main villain in it, he reminded me of the main villain in it. So, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I I, I do have it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that's a great game. You should play it one day, Matt. But, um... So, and then we roll credits, and they play a really weird but good version of Duran Duran's Ordinary World. <laughs> yep. And I was like, huh. I need to download that so I can put it at the end of the show. <laughs> yep, I, I shazammed it. I'm like, if there's ever been a better end of the show song, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, so yeah, you can you guys can hear that at the end of this show. Uh, it's actually really good. Uh, but that's not it. After the credits, we get a we get a Marvel esque in, ending where uh, it shows uh, Sebastian and Lily. Uh, Along with Kidman, they're at what looks like a gas station. Yeah, kind of like T two. I was about to say it reminded me of the ending of, of Terminator Two. 
Yeah. Or Terminator 1, for that matter. <laughs> and, um... For a second, I thought they were together. I'm like, wow, he... He got over Myra pretty quick. He got over Myra really quick, but then either uh, not. Um, yeah. uh, she's basically saying goodbye to him. Sebastian gets into a car and drives away, and she she goes her own way. What was up with her hand? Did you notice that? She was looking at her hand for some reason. Oh, and, yeah. And in the previous cutscenes, when you were playing as her... She was pulling a Michael Jackson. She had one glove on covering that hand. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I thought it was because in, I thought that that was the hand that she was holding Lily's hand with. And so she was taking a second to think about Lily and or her future or her desire for a kid. Just kind of like this connection that was ending. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm going to look it up. I mean, I just, just out of curiosity. Kid... Man, hand. Uh. Oh. Never mind. So there is something about that. Uh. Let's see here. Uh. Kidman's hand. Here we go. I uh, just completed Evil Within 2. Really enjoyed the game. Pretty uh, emotional at points. Some sections felt a little contrived, I feel, and that Theodore's death was a little unceremonious, in all honesty. Uh, but regarding the final scene after the credits, what do you suppose is the significance of the scar on Julie's hand? Throughout the game, the hand is concealed with a glove, but at that moment, her hand is exposed. Upon looking up from her hand, she has a determined look on her face. Uh, the look of someone of unfinished business. And it says here, the scar is a mark that people receive from the first stem. It possibly has something to do with Ruvik leaving his mark on those who escaped him. The administrator, mm. Kidman, and Seb all had it. What I got from the final scene is that Ruvik is still alive and in the real world, um, hinting that he will play a role in the third game if there ever will be one. And so, yeah, that goes into the very, very last scene, which then cuts back to... Mobius and that last stem uh, looks like there's cobwebs all over the place. Yeah. So it's been a Cle while. Clearly been a while, yeah. And the computer turns back on and starts rebooting. And then it cuts to the end. So, hinting at a third game. Unfortunately, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Yeah, that's that's one of the first things I did when I finished the game is I'm like, oh, I wonder when the third game's coming. And every article I could find was about how poorly this game sold. Yeah. Um, most of them saying it sold only about 25% of the Evil Within 1. Hmm. Although that may have just been like first day or first week sales. Cause it, it could have been, but at the same time, if you remember, the Evil Within 1 had like three DLCs. This game had none. 
feels like they kind of gave up on it. Yeah. I hate that. Um, I hate that because it was a pretty good game in the end. It's better than the first game. I think The Evil Within 2 is a better game than the first game. What do you think, Matt? We're going into our closing arguments. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think it was better in basically every single way you could measure it. The only negative thing I would say, really, is that, or, or as a comparison between the two, is that the first one felt more unique. I don't know. It felt more intense, almost in a bad way. I thought the first game was a little bit harder than this game. This yeah. game especially, you know, it had a couple of points that were difficult and uh, essentially every time I, I opened up back into the world and was just running around and, and kind of attracting various different hordes of enemies that slaughtered me, I, you know, I did have some issues and, you know, some of the bosses killed me once or twice. But overall, I, I thought it was easier than the first game. Did you did you get your... Um Final playtime? Uh, yeah, 18, 20. 18 hours, 20 minutes. Fifteen eleven for me. So, yeah. I actually... So, the first thing I did when I finished the game was to restart it. Uh, actually, the reason was because I wanted to go back to my stats screen, so I did New Game Plus. I wanted to see if any of the stats would carry over. Uh, it turns out you need to go fairly far into the game before you can actually access that menu so I went through and played the first couple of chapters first two chapters over again uh, and I was actually shocked how much more I enjoyed those two because of how much they tie into the end of the game right so when you're meeting you know the first really the first scene of the game you, you have the house where Lily's burned alive the house is on fire you know that obviously carries weight throughout the game right you know, then you've got the scene where with Kidman in the bar, um, and at that point you don't really know why she's come back for you, really. You know, and then having just played the end of the game within the last hour and a half or so, I've gotten all these answers: why she needs me back, why she, um, why me specifically. You know, we were asking earlier. Oh, it seems like everything happens to this family, but. It kind of all makes sense now, I think. Yeah. I think they connected decently enough. Yeah, I think so. And then you get the next scene where they go to Mobius and STEM, and you're seeing exactly the same room you just escaped out of. Um, you actually – you're tied to a wheelchair because you were knocked out at the bar, and you're you're wheeling down that same hallway that Kidman just had to run the other way down or the same way down to get to the, the center of the STEM room. So, you know, and then Kidman makes a couple of comments about, you know, I, I'm here for you on the outside that make a lot more sense now that the game's over. Um, the the evil shadowy guy in the background, he's like, oh, yeah, don't don't worry. You know, we'll let you. We're going to send you in. You can get Lily. You can take her out and everything's going to be hunky-dory after that. And, you know, and that hits also because you just saw how he betrayed and he was going to have you murdered within the last hour or two. So I, I don't know. I, I I like the symmetry between the very first two chapters and the very last three chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, so that was kind of cool. 
So you think, so which one would you say you enjoyed more? Uh, I think that's the tough question. I think one felt more like a, one was more relentless. So if, I don't want to say it was Dark Souls-esque, but the way it was hard, the way it was nonstop, it was boss after boss, it was harder sections, I don't know, I was more, I was focused on it more. Mm-hmm. This game, you know, I think it tied things together better. So I think overall, I had a better story. Um, the the open world parts, I think, added a ton to this game to diversify it. But they did take away from some of that dread. The first game had a lot of dread and a lot of scenes that, at the time, were very, very unique as kind of manifestations of his psyche within the game world. So, you know, it, it's, uh, again, this game does it well too, that it's kind of a simple metaphor for his mind being broken, the world here of Union is broken, the rules within STEM are broken, and all of that stuff fits together so well that, like, the, the theme of this game and the way a lot of things tie to it, I really like. Yeah. Um, in this game, you know, this game is more enjoyable, I think, from the perspective of exploration. Like, you discover things in this game. In the first game, it's more, much more linear. You're driven forward. You don't have options. So for better or worse, they're, they're very different. Uh, as far as which one I enjoyed more, I guess I would lean more towards this one. Yeah. Although, I think in the future, if I were thinking, the Evil Within, I would think more about the first one because it had more of those iconic bosses. Like, the Keeper to me was more iconic than Obscura. Even though Obscura was a cool boss in this, I felt like there were more bosses in the first game and because they were harder, they evoked more dread and to me that that was kind of the most memorable thing, you know, spanning both of these games. Yeah. I, You know, I think I think I lean toward you a lot when it comes to how I feel about these games, um, I feel like you're right. It seemed like the first game was a little bit more brutal. Um, the second game, the beginning parts were brutal, but after you do some upgrading and get your arsenal up, yeah, you you turn you feel into, more like a badass. You, you turn into Chris Redfield, you know, <laughs> like like chunky Chris Redfield who who can just you know punch a boulder. So. Um, and or Batman for that for my instance because I, all I did was sneak around guys yeah. and then stab them. Uh, and so. they do they, they try to do a fair job of raising the stakes. Like every time you again go back into Union, there's there's harder bosses around. But by those points in the game, I kind of just avoided them. Yeah, I just ran by. To them. be honest, yeah, yeah, I mostly just didn't fight them, even though they were harder bosses. I I probably missed more things. Because I explored less in the end of the game than I did in the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel the same way. I, I I enjoyed both of them. I think they're both strong games. I'm really glad we played them. Yeah, me too. So, we'll see. Hopefully Shinji Mikami will come up with something new. And, but this uh, game must have sold at least 2 million copies, I think. You think so? So, Well, I, I, was, tr- I was trying to do some... Uh, Sleuthing. I mean, I, I was just looking at VG charts, and they said the PS4 version sold 1.15 million. Okay. So I, I don't. I know it didn't sell terribly well on Steam, but 
between the between the three versions, it must have hit close to two million. I don't know what the break even point is on on something like this, but again, without the DLC and you know, had they abandoned it, maybe the costs were a little lower. Although it didn't feel like a budget or anything, I feel like too much was cut, other than maybe maybe some DLC. That's very true. Well, there you go. That's... It didn't feel rushed. I mean, I I love the end of this game. Yeah, I think I think to be honest, this. The theme of the first game, you know, I loved, I like kind of like the first game throughout, you know, the, the really dark, really kind of classic, scary horror themes. And this game didn't necessarily have as much of that, but the last two hours of this game, all the reveals, all the connections, um, I, I still think it's a little bit tenuous. I wish there had been a little bit more of a link between Father Ted and, uh, Stefano. Yeah. But th- there was at least a token consideration to the fact that they were tied together. Yeah. I feel like, if anything, this game didn't wait, didn't pull a Nino Cooney and wait to the last two hours to freaking tell you everything. They at least hinted at it, kept you interested in what's going on throughout. Yep. You know, halfway through, we killed the main boss. No, we didn't. Now Myra's in here. What? We didn't even know she was in here, you know. And then, of course, we were kind of doubting it, like, "Oh, why is she in here? Why is this? Why is this whole family connected? Why is this all happening to Sebastian?" But it's actually kind of connected, and they they did a decent job with it and kept me guessing. So, yeah, I, I'm glad. I'm they they have done they have done something a lot of games can't do, and that is keep me interested throughout, and not save all your exposition for the very end of the game. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel backweighted. Yeah. While still having a strong ending, I think that's a that's a good balance to try and have. Yeah. Um, and I actually like the fact that it it made the the last scene of the first Evil Within make a little bit more sense, you know. So maybe they never have a third game, but at the end of the first game, I thought Ruvik was out in the world, but then during this game, they mention how you know he makes that comment about oh after I left Stem the first time, I was never really sure if it was real life or not. Well, there's your perfect explanation. Ruvik wasn't out in the real world. He just, you know, he had trouble separating reality and, and accepting reality. Um, while at the same time, Ruvik could be out. I don't know what happened to Ruvik. We don't we don't have a good answer to that. I don't think. We don't so, know what happened to Joseph either. Yep. So in reality, that that's that's a perfect segue into the third Evil Within, or it's a it makes the end of the Evil Within 1 not feel like a loose end because of what they described in, in Evil Within 2. So, t- to me, that was, an- that was another point that I really liked. Yeah. If they do a third one, I would I would venture to guess that Ruvik comes back for revenge. Yeah. And somehow... You, kid- you've defiled my creation. Yeah, somehow, somehow kidnaps Kidman and Sebastian and Lily and puts them back into a stem. So, um... Let's hope that they make a third one. Yeah, I, I certainly do. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. We do have an email, and it's actually not about the Evil Within. It's about um, it's about Game of the Year stuff. Matt, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have anything as far as Game of the Year stuff goes? Uh, what did you play last year that came out last year? That's the better question. I played some of the big ones. 
You play Red Dead Redemption 2. I did not play that one. Did you play Spider-Man? I did play and finish Spider-Man. Hey, look at you. I didn't even know you did that. Yep. Pretty good? Pretty good. Uh, enjoyable. Uh, my my short thoughts on it were really good game, really good Spider-Man game, but still an open world game. And for my personal taste, too many collectibles. Um, but that being said, I view all that stuff as once you beat the game, you have a reason to go back. So it doesn't really detract from the game. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it, it... I enjoyed that more than I've enjoyed a Spider-Man movie in a long time. Okay. You know, I loved seeing the classic Spider-Man villains. That was probably my favorite thing. Have you seen Homecoming? I have not. You would like that. I actually tried to rent that a couple times from Redbox, and it was out both times. Hmm. You should really try to find that, because that that is one of the better Marvel movies, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, it's it's actually... Yeah, Laura and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So, um, And you will probably understand why uh, when you watch it. Yeah, I, I, my eyes open for it. As soon as I happen to see it, uh, I'll try to find a way to watch it. Uh, did you play God of War? I did play God of War. I didn't finish it, but I played a good chunk of it. Fantastic game. Uh, I love the groundedness, the you know, the, the kind of reflecting on life. Kratos I played, life. I played uh, two hours of it. <laughs> yeah. So it was not on my list, unfortunately. Any standouts for you, Matt? Um, probably my favorite game of the year was Detroit. Okay, yeah. David, uh, which David I did Cage's magnum opus. Yeah. Uh, my, the biggest knock against it for me was that it was a little generic. Um, the biggest pro for me were just individual scenes. You know, and that... Um, there's quite a lot of branches... I don't know exactly how much the story changes, but I, I gather it's quite a bit. Um, so if it's anything, if it's nearly as much as Heavy Rain, that's a huge plus for me. Um, but just just the individual scenes about, you know, classic android tropes of I want to be a human. What does it mean to be human? You know, people can be worse than the machines, even if the machines are killing people. So I, I don't know. There was a lot... Between the three storylines, I like the way they wove together. I, I don't know. I just thought it was a really well done game. Right. Okay. There's a few others, but th those are the three big ones I probably put the most time into. I got you. So let me read this email, and we'll be here for a while. It comes. <laughs> it comes. From, up. It comes from Chad. Nice. <clears throat> and it's about his games of the year, I guess. It says here. Uh, Chad here, and it's been a while since I've written in because I've been too damn busy playing so many amazing games this year. This has truly been an incredible gaming year for me, and I've surprised myself with how many games I've been able to squeeze in. Unfortunately, I only have time to, de to dedicate to one console, which is the PlayStation 4 for me. That does not mean I am a diehard pony. 
It's just, just because my time is getting even more limited considering I am a husband, father, full-time career man, and I am rapidly getting closer to middle age. Yep. Also, it doesn't hurt that I can... I, that I get about $600 in reward points each year from Sony's credit rewards program. Holy crap. Wow. That says, uh, my 2018 year of gaming by the numbers are as follows. I played a total of 43 games this year, 27 of which were released in 2018. Wow. Out of, out of four, those 43 games, I completed 37 and achieved seven platinum trophies. That's impressive. Yes. <laughs> Most certainly is. It says here, like many of you, except for Drew, it was very hard to discern which of those games get to be in my top ten list for this year. Even worse was it was extremely difficult to rank each of these games, considering a lot of them would easily be my game of the year if 2018 wasn't so stacked. With that being said, I also had a much longer list of honorable mentions this year because there are still... A lot of good games worth playing that just didn't make the top 10 cut for me. My honorable mentions are as follows in no specific order. The Council. I had a hard time cutting this one from my top 10 because it is worth noting that it revolutionizes the telltale choice-based adventure formula by incorporating RPG mechanics. The story was a little lacking, but I would love to see more choice-based adventure games parrot some of these systems from this game. Strange Brigade. Relatively short and simplistic, but still still a damn good fun. I had a blast playing through this game with my son. Nino Kuni 2. I almost gave up on this one, but I'm glad I didn't. The gameplay was too easy at first, but it picked up once they added the hard mode. The city building mechanic was redeeming quality of this game, but you have to get through several chapters before it starts to gain momentum. Otherwise, it is a worthwhile RPG checking out between major releases. Shadow of the Tomb Raider. It doesn't live up to the predecessors, but it, that doesn't mean it still isn't a beautiful, interesting action game uh, worth checking out once it goes on sale. Far Cry 3 Classic Edition. Not the best remaster, but it's still nice to get a fresh coat of paint on what I could still consider to be the best entry within the Far Cry series. It also helps that it came free with Far Cry 5 Season Pass. The Adventures of Captain Spirit. A very nice experience uh, that I will not be surprised to see it show up on other Game of the Year lists. However, I had a hard time justifying it as a game. It's simply a nice free prologue of what is to come within Season 2 of Life is Strange, which is on my backlog for 2019. Detroit Become Human. It was possibly around number 5 on my top 10 games of the year at one point. Unfortunately, it just kept getting pushed down. It's still a very interesting game that I imagine will end up as a free PS Plus title within a year. Batman, The Enemy Within. This was also on my top ten list at one point because it is one of the last good Telltale games. It eclipses its previous entry, and I have to say that I agonize over several decisions within the game, and I think they made some very interesting choices with the use of the Batman villains, especially their take on the Joker and his obsession with Batman. Assassin's Creed Origins Curse of the Pharaohs DLC. 
Although it is technically DLC, it still clocks in at around 15 hours of gameplay and adds tons of content to an already fantastic game. Technically, I think Assassin's Creed Origins was the stronger entry within the franchise than Odyssey. However, I can't justify putting a limited DLC entry over a full-blown Assassin's Creed game. My top 10 games of the year of 2018 are as follows in descending order. Number 10, The Shadow of the Colossus Remaster. Although it is although it is hard to not only acknowledge a remaster on the top 10 list, it is even more difficult to acknowledge a remaster of a remaster. <laughs> However, I don't think anyone can deny how great of a job Blue Point did on this game. It's absolutely beautiful, and I certainly appreciate some of the quality of life tweaks that previously bogged this game down. This version is a classic. This version of the classic actually makes it feel fresh, and my son loved it. Uh, that's awesome. Number nine, the Banner Saga trilogy slash Banner Saga three. Technically, only the third entry came out in 2018, but I picked up the trilogy and played it in succession. This is by far the best Oregon Trail game I've ever played. I have never agonized over making choices as much as I did in this game. So much so, I wasn't sure that I had not completely screwed myself by the time I started the third entry. I had lost so many people along the way due to my poor decisions, but that is part of what makes this trilogy a fulfilling experience. It is approximately a 30-hour journey that feels like an epic lifetime, in a good way. Take some ex-Bioware writers, add Hanna-Barbera hand-drawn animation... Include an intriguing push-pull battle mechanic and slap it all on top of the tried-and-true Oregon Trail presentation, and you get this wonderful experience. Number 8, Yakuza Kiwami 2. Uh, more than a remaster, you get Kiwami. I never experienced the Yakuza series until last year and absolutely fell in love with it. I've been frothing at the mouth for the remasters ever since. Unfortunately, I did not play Yakuza 6 this year because I vowed to play the series in succession. I can't wait for the remasters of 3 through 5, and I hope they all come out at once so that I can marathon this bitch. <laughs> Number 7, Far Cry 5. This is probably my second favorite entry in the Far Cry series behind Far Cry 3. It's beautiful, not too long, and just pours a little more crazy into an already established insanity. The additional mechanic for the NPC companions was the game-saving grace. If not for that addition, it would be it would be much lower on the list, if not relegated to the honorable mentions. Kudos to Ubisoft for spoiling their own ending at the Video Game Awards. New Dawn is already on my backlog for 2019, and is surprisingly only about a month away. So, yay, I guess. Number six, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I have always been a diehard Assassin's Creed fan, so it surprises me a little that this only made number six on my list. Unfortunately, I think this game pales in comparison to Origins from last year. To a certain extent, I think it collapses a little under its own weight. I think it's very obviously, very obvious that Ubisoft did not want people to try and marathon this game. They want the content to be stretched over two years until their next release. However, that is not how a typical gamer plays. Most gamers will play a new title for a month or two, if that, before they start getting fatigued. If they set a large game like this aside, the chances of them going back to it diminishes rapidly as time goes on. So the alternative is to is trying to marathon it, which leaves you to the same feeling of 
uh, gorging a Thanksgiving dinner. You undo your belt buckle and sit on the couch wondering to yourself, why in the hell did I eat so much? I know it sounds negative on this. I know I sound negative on this game, but it really is good. It I just would have been much better if they had trimmed the fat a little and did away with some of the filler mechanics and systems. Number five, Astrobot Rescue Mission. Finally, we have the killer app for the PlayStation VR. Everybody kept recommending this game, but I was very hesitant to jump back into VR to try it out. Thank God I listened, because this game is amazing. To be honest, playing this game reminded me of the feeling I had as a little boy back in the 80s and playing Super Mario Bros. for the first time. This game truly revolutionizes level design, and it surprisingly looks good in VR, which is currently one of the largest hurdles that Peripherals has at the moment. Like Ken has previously stated, the purchase of the PSVR is pretty much validated with this single game alone. The PSVR does have some great potential, but it lives and dies based on its sales. I am fully aware that most people do not have a disposable income, but if you have the means, buy this tech so it can be supported. Number four. For the record, I'm planning to buy it as soon as they come out with the next version. Okay. A, a, a PSVR? Well, VR of some kind. Okay. Well. Maybe PSVR. <clears throat> number four, Spider-Man. Although it's sitting at number four for me, I had considered it as my game of the year at one point or another. I think I may have had more fun with this game than any other game I played this year. The story and uh, characters are interesting and well-written. The game is not too long. It has a very good mechanics, but may get a little repetitive over time. It oozes charm with all of the fan service and interesting collectibles that can be obtained or unlocked along the way. I would have put it higher on my list if two-thirds of the game wasn't comprised of the collection-type mechanics, if more of the Spider-Man villain subplots mirrored the villain side quest from Batman Arkham Knight. All right. Yeah, I think it was kind of... What it was missing was that thing that elevated Mass Effect 2. So it's not just that you have characters... It's that you have characters you really care about and think about and have their own lives. Like, Spider-Man was great, but for me, that those enemies were so one-note that that's that, that's one thing that kept it from, from really being elevated. I mean, not that they're new, so it, it's kind of hard to breathe new life into them, but All right, a little bit flat, I think. Let's see here. Number three, drag, uh, excuse me. Number three is Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, this was also my game of the year at one time or another. I don't think any other game this year has had, has had as much of a lasting impact on me as this one. The characters and dialogue are just so well written, although Arthur Morgan talks like a sling blade on occasion. <laughs> he is just so compelling. It wasn't the action set pieces that did it for me, but rather the subtleties and his small mannerisms that made him feel so authentic. I don't want to spoil anything, but there are some points near the end of the game where your actions and decisions, particularly from the Stranger missions, start to come full circle. The side content is interwoven into the main story at points. I realized this after I had some scenes that my friends didn't because I had took the time to complete the Stranger missions. These are some of... Uh, these were some of the best scenes in the game for me because it showed Arthur coming to terms with the decisions he had made and dealing with them, hence redemption. Also, this game somehow achieves making the 2010 Red Dead Redemption game even better 
when it had already been one of the best games of all time. It adds a whole lot more context to John Marston and his motives. Although I still think John Marston is an amazing character, Arthur Morgan makes him look like a little bitch. The only reason this game is not higher on my list is because the gameplay mechanics and pacing get a little too distractive over time. Also, it seems to be running theme for this year uh, is the a longer game doesn't always equate to a better game. Number two, Dragon Quest Eleven. Sorry, I couldn't read no Roman numerals for a second there. <laughs> uh, this game totally took me by surprise. I've been playing the Dragon Warrior slash Dragon Quest series since the 80s. However, I never considered myself a diehard fan. In fact, aside from Dragon Warrior 4 and Dragon Quest 8, I don't think this series has had a good entry in a long, long time. Although it initially intrigued me uh, from the beauty of the presentation and the fan service to include actual sound bites from the NES versions, uh, circa 1986, it starts off deceivingly simplistic and a little bland. This, uh, this is another dece- deceiving... Excuse me. This is another one of those games that it takes approximately 25 to 30 hours before it cooks you. Uh, specifically, uh, it didn't start picking up for me until I had reached the ruins of Dunstrell after the city of Galablopas. Oh man, don't make me read that. Uh, <laughs> once it got to that point, uh, it just kept getting better and better. By the time I got the true ending, I had just shy of 100 hours into the game. I did very little grinding and probably only about half of the side content. This game does some things I haven't seen in a JRPG in a long time. The characters become so much more compelling once the the game starts revealing their backstories with some genuinely dark and heartfelt moments at points. From a story standpoint, I would compare it to equally to Final Fantasy IV and VI. There are some points throughout the game that forces you to switch up and re-strategize your party members. Also keep in mind the subtitle for this game is An Elusive Age, which indicates playing uh, with time a little. Think butterfly effect. Mm. Uh, If you separate the fact that this game is part of the Dragon Quest series, it is able to stand on its own as one of the best classic style JRPGs I have ever played. And number one, God of War. This is my game of the year, and I'm actually not going to say much about it. It teetered around the top three spots for me for quite a while, but ultimately I can't deny that it is one of the best presented games I've ever played. Everything to include visuals, sound, story, characters, dialogue, level design, gameplay, traversal, etc. was impeccably put together. I honestly don't have any major criticisms for the game. However, I do have some concern. Similar to The Last of Us, when a game is presented this well and you are basically obligated to make a sequel, I think it's going to be incredibly hard to meet a lot of people's expectations. Uh, Either way, congratulations to Santa Monica Studios and good luck. I actually have a lot more I would like to say, but I think this email is already running a lot longer than I anticipated, so I'll end it here. Like all years, 2018 was full of many good times and many heartaches. Uh, like Einstein once said, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving forward. So for anyone who ended their year on a down note, I wish for you hope, positivity, and a much better 2019. 
with much love and respect for everyone. I wish you all a happy new year. Chad. That is a wonderful email. That is a fantastic email. Chad, you always, always bring joy to me when you send an email. So keep those coming. Hopefully you'll be playing some of these horrible games that we're going to be playing. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I can't either. I've, I've been receiving games almost daily in the mail for the last week. Oh, um, man. But haven't received the game that we're supposed to be starting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one, that was like the first one I bought, too, and it still has not shown up. So we have made an executive decision. Uh, I know I have been saying on Twitter the past couple of days um, that we were going to be doing Sonic 06 as the inaugural game to start off this podcast bad game year yeah whatever um but unfortunately matt's copy is not going to show up in time for him to play enough of it for us to talk about next week so we're actually going to be doing another game uh this was kind of like a filling game just in case uh, apparently it is the worst rated game on the PlayStation 3 and it is called Unearthed. I don't even know how to pronounce this. Alright. Unearthed Trail of Ibd... Ibn Batuta. Ibn Batuta. <laughs> we'll say it like that. Uh, so, uh, anyone who is interested in playing along with us on some, on this game at least, you can find it on Steam. It doesn't look like it's going to be a graphics hog. And it's $4.99. Now, it also says Episode 1. Well, this came out in 2014. We have never seen an Episode 2. So I think this is the only game they're ever going to do. Uh, Unearthed is an episodic third-person action-adventure game set in the modern-day Middle East. The game is available in full Arabic and English voiceovers and features 21 languages for menu and subtitles. That is the description on Steam. If you look at it, you will understand what they're trying to do. This is an uncharted ripoff. Through and through. Yeah, we ought to be able to finish it too because uh, how long to beat says it takes about an hour. This is perfect. <laughs> this is perfect. I can through this genius I am, game maybe twice. Yeah, I am excited to play this because of that. Also because it looks freaking horrible. Um so we're going to be doing that uh as the first game. Then we will be doing Sonic 06. To which I started Sonic 06. Here's the deal. You know you're going for a good time when you play a game from 2006 and it's now 2019. I put the game in my system. And it boots up immediately. Huh. There's no patches. There's no nothing. Maybe they thought the game was just good enough. Yeah, no need to uh, improve on perfection. Exactly. No, they. I think they just abandoned it, I think is what ended up happening. So, yeah, I have played a little bit of Sonic 06, but no need to, no need to, uh, to go any farther in it. We're going to be playing Unearthed Trail of Ibden Buta. Batua. Ibden Batua. He's on a four-wheeler in this? Okay. (laughs) 
I'm just curious of how bad this plays because man, there's a lot going on in that trailer I just watched. I didn't have the sound going, but uh, I saw him like jump over a car, and then the he he was on a four wheeler jumping hills. He was sneaking around. He was walking over beams. He kind of looks like Nathan Drake a little bit. It does everything one would need for a fun, rollicking adventure. Yeah. So there we go. That's what we're going to be doing next to kick off our year of the bad game. But that is it for us. Uh, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Uh, you can also send us an email. It is drew at ztgd.com. I want you to suggest bad games to us. And we were going to try and play them. And I mean bad. I want bad games. So we have a few games that are we're calling quote-unquote palate cleansers. Games that are not necessarily bad, but they're so bad they're good. Sonic 06 is not a so bad it's good. Sonic 06 is bad. Deadly Premonition is so bad it's good. Duke Nukem Forever, so bad it's good. I'd also wrote down Bound by Flame. Mainly because oh, yeah. I heard that the, the dialogue is laughable. But they say it's actually not a bad game. So, we may do that. Um, but yeah, definitely suggest some games to us. If you're playing along with us, like I said, that Unearthed game is $5 on Steam. $5 for an hour's worth of hilarity, maybe? And then you can email us and, t- and tell us what you thought about it. <laughs> so we'll do it like that. But anyway, uh, we're going to get out of here. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we've we've finished our serious games. Now it's time to get into the fun stuff. We'll try- the fun and the painful. The fun and painful. Uh, but until then... I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we are out of here. You guys have a great week. And we'll be back with the beginning of the year of the bad game with Unearthed. Trail of Umin Ibu and Bukdudu.